0: Welcome to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. My name is Fergal Byron. Over the coming months, I'll be interviewing senior business leaders actively working on supply chain decarbonisation, reducing scope three emissions in a variety of different industries. We discuss companies' decarbonisation journeys, the challenges, their experience and strategies, explore what is working, and identify key lessons and insights. I'm very pleased today to welcome Matthias Pullman larsen to the Scope 3 Agenda with Ecovadis. Matthias is the Global Lead for Sustainable Value Chain at Accenture, where he works with business leaders to deliver tangible progress on sustainability throughout their entire value chain. So thank you very much, Matthias, for joining me today on the Scope 3 Agenda with Ecovadis. So before we discuss in detail some of the work you've been doing uh, on Scope 3 and a particular Accenture report that we're interested in exploring. Can you tell us a little bit about your job and, and your responsibilities at Accenture, Matthias? And indeed, where, where does Scope 3 fit in as well?
1: Yeah, I'm a managing director at in, in Accenture and really what I lead for Accenture is what we call sustainable value chain and globally and really is about embedding and working for sustainability outcomes with everything our clients work on across uh, the entire value chain. So really embedding sustainability in all the functions of the clients. And obviously, scope three, when we look at upstream value chains, becomes very, very important. And Not just because it's about the footprint, but because scope three is a translation Of not only their, our clients' suppliers, but also their suppliers and what we call the multi tier. So, really, the entire value chain emission, which has surprising insights and things to discover when you're able to put a spotlight and be able to actually increase the visibility of of really where emission comes from, which uh, suddenly becomes very strategic for, for our clients and for companies because it can be used. Uh, if used well to drive outcomes beyond just carbon reduction, but really improve the enterprise value creation of clients because they can use it strategically.
0: I'm just wondering if you can set the scene a little bit. We've been talking about supply chain decarbonization on this podcast for some time, but just in your mind, why do you think it matters? Do you think it brings value beyond reducing emissions and disclosure? Uh, can it be a source of competitive advantage? What are some of the strategic benefits that you think arise? I
1: think this is the core question. And um, supply chains is everything that moves in the world. So 60% of global emission actually come from supply chains. So really, if, if we want to accelerate the decarbonization globally, and if we want to meet as a species, as a society, our ambition to decarbonize towards uh, 2050, supply chains are the answer. And I'm saying coming from they are the problem to being the answer because that's how the best companies are thinking about it. How can I, while accelerating my decarbonization efforts across my value chain, so beyond what I have in com in strict control of, my scope one and two, how can I turn that into a source of a competitive advantage? And here I'll make some examples. When I am able to really create visibility on where my emissions upstreams are so with my suppliers their suppliers and so on until you know raw material extraction uh, so to say I'm able to actually get new insights of for example is my value chain exposed to geographies where electricity is more is produced more from a a coal carbon intensive energy production which exposes me to all sorts of risks beyond emissions. I'm able to see complexities in my value chains that I might want to review strategically and change my suppliers and be able to simplify my value chains to, for example, reduce uh, logistic costs. But also um, carbon equal cost in many of the functions. Uh, Logistics is one of them. Energy consumption is the other. So you're able to identify how do I actually help my supplier base become more cost-efficient by looking at how their carbon footprint is. So there are many, many ways that actually we turn decarbonization effort into a source of enterprise value creation, and that's the really the most effective and the only way executives are able to accelerate the journey to the ambition that, you know, the world requires to to meet decarbonisation goals.
0: It's very interesting because in many, if not most of the interviews so far, we've discussed the challenges, data challenges, collaboration challenges, various challenges that companies face in, in terms of the scope three generally, but not so much on the benefits. Now, you mentioned clearly, you know, costs, which I think is pretty evident, uh, risks as well. Are they levers for competitive advantage? I mean,
1: I, we know this is the most direct levers, and absolutely. Let me maybe go beyond just the the cost element to actually represent how strategic some of these are. We have noted how companies performing better in all sorts of sustainability aspect or or ESG aspects they actually access capital with a lower premium. What does it mean that the best companies in ESG performance actually have a cheaper way to be leveraged so their cost of debt cost of capital is lower than peers that actually perform worse in ESG and that and that is a is a is a symptom is a proxy of how capital is moving around the world and how that movement is actually changing a different example we see big big brand equity value uh, movements and risks associated to the inability for companies to track and explain the carbon footprint of their products. So there are companies under heavy greenwashing lawsuits because of their of their own ability, and you point out to data and the value of data and the importance of data. And hence, they might do some claims that then are challenged by the consumer base and the customer base and actually have a very strategic and important Impact on the enterprise value of that firm. So suddenly it moves from supply chain and, and cost and energy to
0: a CEO level ESG man- risk management uh, that is very very important. Very interesting. Now, in your recent Accenture report, gaining visibility to hidden hotspots to move from targets to action to value, you you point out that the vast majority of companies have made little progress to date in dealing with scope three emissions. I'm just wondering. Why you think that is? Do you get a sense that boards, C-suite executives are becoming more aware, more focused, taking action on Scope three emissions?
1: Yeah, uh, Fegel, I think this is uh, this is the core, and, and we are seeing a momentum uh, shift now. Of the global 2,000 biggest companies, one third of them have set ambitious net zero targets in line with climate science. And one third might not seem a lot, but actually, you know, just two years ago, this was a fraction. So the ambition CEOs have and the boards pressuring them have is mounting and is accelerating. But to your point, the problem is that only 10% of companies in total are even tracking elements of scope three. So the carbon disclosure project. You can report, uh, companies can report their footprint and their scope three as well to CDP, the the Carbon Disclosure Project, and only 10% do that. And of that, only 9% are achieving their emission targets. So there is a huge disconnect between the ambition and the goals and the targets that companies are setting at the highest level and the action and the traction that these companies are proving to be making. And this is just amplifying. So the need for accelerated transformation, accelerated action at scale is just becoming bigger and bigger. And obviously, in, a, in an area that is new, where I usually, uh, I usually say that there is no blueprint, there is no blueprint, it's not, it's not a, a, a recipe that companies just need to follow, but it's something that is mounting in priority in uh, corporate agendas.
0: So a company's approach to Scope Three, its possibilities to take effective action decarbonizing its supply chain, takes place within its overall approach to sustainability. How it thinks about sustainability, its policies, how embedded sustainability is across the company. Can you talk about this a little? So
1: fegal to address your point, it's incredible how actually you know when I when I speak with with the C suites around transformation, transformative effort and And the role of sustainability, I usually ask five things, very very simple things, but it's seldom that that I find a company that actually addresses them in the totality and makes them think. Oh, I think we need to change something in how we approach it. So the first one is: Do we have a simple narrative, a compelling narrative that is anchoring the link between sustainability? and enterprise value creation. Or some call it the materiality of why we're doing, why we have those targets and why we're doing things. And simple because you point out to to the impact on workforce and and, and the people because it needs to trickle. It needs to trickle to the markets. It needs to trickle to the board and investors. And it needs to trickle to your employees and your partners, suppliers and customers. So it cannot be complicated and it needs to focus on value. Second, second, if it does, then it needs to be value based. Company needs to translate. If they claim this is part of the strategy, then show me the value. And when you do, you need to track it accordingly. You cannot call this a strategic business priority if you're not able to show your investor, to your board, to your boss, to your employees, to your market, uh, customer, and, and suppliers the impact that it has and how you're tracking against it. Third, It must be at the core of the business, cannot be an add-on. If you are changing, if you are adding it on the side, it will never be transformative to your people and to what you do. You need to think about how does sustainability, my ambition, change my structures, my processes, my decision-making on a day-to-day basis. It needs to be part of talent discussion with your employees, performance evaluation, even incentives and how you pay bonuses. Fourth, it needs to break silos and navigate trade-offs. Many things can be functional. You know, let's uh, decarbonize uh, your your production site here and then let's use renewables. But many things actually cut across. So one of the biggest levers that companies have, for example, is how do I design and engineer my products in the best way and that is in one function, but has an entire value chain impact from what raw materials will be sourced and how and where to how the product is going to be consumed downstream by, 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 by consumers and how that you know how do I make it even circular. So that involves not only design uh, and R and D and product development, but also supply chains, what is going to be procurement. Impacts, uh, uh, branding and marketing, uh, commercial operation, etc. And lastly, fifth is it must be data driven and technology powered. And what I mean with that is, is as with anything that is a business priority, it needs to be integrated into the technology roadmap uh, and the strategy uh, on how digitalization and this total enterprise reinvention that I was mentioned before
0: actually work. Pretty penetrating questions, Matthias. <laughs> For many companies, dealing with Scope 3 can be challenging. What, in your experience, are some of the key obstacles companies face when dealing with the Scope 3 emissions?
1: Absolutely. Let me start with the most uh, obvious one and then go towards, the, I think, the ones that are most strategic. Obviously, you're pointing to data visibility. Often, that's, that's the first one. That's the most obvious one. And that's one where... CEOs and, and 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 chief supply chain officer and procurement officers they, they go there right they go there it's it's easy to find the in data and visibility the culprit and obviously in the report we, which we're going to discuss in a second I, I I guess we're addressing that specifically but obviously that has its life because at certain point when data and visibility is there there are other things that are in, impacting the second that I would mention more strategic is there is a dilemma. There is a prisoner dilemma around why do I company would care and would need to act on something my suppliers and their suppliers are in control of? and who should pay for that? That's a typical uh, prisoner dilemma in game theory, where it's 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 uh, when you look at each of the actors optimizing for themselves, actually it, the solution is not to act and not to actually do something. And obviously, this is incredibly interesting because, Actually, the way to accelerate that needs to come from a completely different solution that has a many to many type of uh, type of uh, thinking that again, it's, it, it can be very interesting and very valuable, uh, but it needs to break this prisoner dilemma. I think third is obviously the energy transition globally requires scale and requires what I call volume aggregation of the map. What I mean with that is that when a solution is is, is becoming available and standard, uh, talk about renewable power uh, generation or more efficient ways to process, etc., suddenly to make it work, to make it economically viable, you need that solution to apply to many. And when you have hundreds of thousands potentially of suppliers in your value chain, individually, this is not economically feasible for, for each of them. So you need to aggregate and standardize solutions and bring many players together to access them. So we talk, for example, about aggregating purchasing power agreement, where suddenly many actors come together to purchase renewable power uh, that individually uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't be economically viable. And fourth, and maybe there are many, many more barriers, but in the moment you, you want to decarbonize and that's it, that's where the actions can be slow and, and, and the commitment can be shallow. When companies are able, in a very simple narrative, translate how decarbonization matters for their ability to create value for their shareholders, that's when it becomes a business priority, a business, a value creation transformation initiative. And as many other business priority can be driven with the same speed and focus and accelerated impact, as you would do with, you know, your MA strategy or your, you know,
0: pricing strategy or what have you. That's, that's very interesting. And, and you see companies becoming aware of the, the value creation possibilities.
1: They have. I mean, we live in an industry where the first to, to move the needle are investors. And the, the move of capital and the impact that it has, it has in the last decade, uh, has really moved fundamentally the balance of how companies optimize for that. Another one, obviously, is, is regulation and government. Uh, we see with, with the Biden action on, on requiring companies to report to CDP their footprint. So, obviously, there are macro forces that help and incentivize, but their ability of companies to really translate that and see beyond their next quarter and the next year uh, results into seeing how do I create long term value. And how sustainability and decarbonization contribute to that value, that's happening slower than many would want, but that's happening. And uh, and it needs to happen faster and and more focused as well. We talked about target setting just before, that that one third of of the biggest companies, the the biggest 2,000 companies globally have set science-based targets. Now, what what few know uh, or realize is that these companies have set targets not only for their scope one and two, but also for their scope three. And that target requires them in a matter of a few handful of years to have a large percentage of their suppliers to also commit to science-based target themselves. So suddenly you're creating a ripple effect guided by the biggest companies out there that are just going to create an exponential action to baseline, obviously forecast uh, emission, and then set initiative and set science-based target that will contribute to the climate agenda.
0: In your report, you highlight some of the Accenture research that shows interesting ways in which the pattern of Scope three emissions differs across industries and geographies, and indeed between Tier one suppliers and other tiers.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> interestingly, um, Scope three emissions are On average, more than eleven times greater than the emissions in in Scope One and Two, and this varies very much by sector. So, a sector like aerospace and defense, high tech, technology, actually this this is even twenty eight times bigger. And that means that the challenge on Scope Three is very very different compared to, for example, energy and utility, where the relative size is much closer to, to Scope One and Two. And not only that, you have Again, uh, for example, in the high tech, the scope three of high tech companies, uh, only 20% of that emission sits with their direct suppliers. 80% is hidden. So you have a scope three challenge that is enormous compared to your individual footprint. And you don't see it. When you're able to see in the multi-tier, you're able to see, for example, that uh, what we call hotspots. So areas of your value chain where where carbon emissions are very intense actually are very different than if you only look at your tier one. And the key
0: point is they don't know that.
1: They don't know. You look at your spend, uh, you calculate your scope three based on on spend basis, and obviously there are tables that allows you to assume and, and, and kind of calculate what that could be in terms of emission. And when you look at the spend base, you look at your suppliers, Right. And and the tables can tell you, ah, well, your suppliers are sitting in Denmark or Costa Rica where the source of energy and electricity are very clean, uh, renewables uh, power sourced. But in the moment you put the spotlight in the multi-tier, you might see that they are sourcing things from places where coal is still the, the main source of power for electricity production. Then suddenly... You, you, you are not really uh, making initiatives and strategies that are cost effective and efficient when you look at your tier one, but you need to think differently on how to actually reduce your entire scope
0: three. In your report, Gaining Visibility to Hidden Hotspots to Move from Targets to Action to Value, you talk about getting visibility on hidden hotspots. Can you maybe talk a little bit about hotspots, why they matter, and some of the challenges identifying hotspots?
1: The concept of hotspot is very simple, and many of the most mature companies already have a view um, of have a view, not the right view, but a view of <laughs> their hotspot because they are looking at their suppliers, spend-based uh, emission calculation, and they can make strategies. What we challenge with this uh, report is that those strategies are broadly and massively ineffective and inefficient because they are not addressing the real hotspots in your scope three. Here is the problem, uh, Fegan. Uh, your scope three is your entire upstream emission. There is no judgment of where players are sitting compared to you, whether directly making business with you or whether, you know, extracting the raw material at the beginning of the value chain. So scope three is democratic. <laughs> doesn't care. And instead, your strategy to decarbonate, to to address that scope three, are looking, uh, legacy speaking, are looking at and instead of of only a fraction, sometimes, as as I said, in some sectors it's only 20% of that scope three with your direct suppliers. So in the moment you are not looking at the multi-tier and really understanding where they are, your strategy is going to be wrong. So it's not, it's not. That I'm not challenging whether companies are looking at scope uh, at hotspots; they are, but likely they're the wrong one, which makes their efforts and, and the strategies ineffective and inefficient. And the value chain mapping coming from other sources that are not emission sources, so from from logistics, from trade, from from different models, that allows that mapping to become more and more relevant and fundamentally give you the most sophisticated picture. Of your real scope three emissions, all the way from raw material to you, where from from where and what type and what type, and that informs your strategy, your decarbonization strategy. But look, Fegal, it informs much more. As I started, we started the session with, even allows for much more sophisticated strategies, uh, network uh, design uh, input, what geographies to enter, to exit, to change. So it can be really a source of inside that, that goes beyond environmental and sustainability and decarbonization, but but really uh, to the core of competitive advantage uh, for a company.
0: So what are some of the challenges of getting visibility beyond tier one, achieving multi-tier emissions visibility?
1: Well, the challenge is obviously around data. And you have pointed it out in the first question, I think, <laughs> in this series. But obviously, so the model, the, the proprietary data model that we have developed is able to connect across industries and geographies and are able to create that map which is still not primary data of the entities in the in the value chain but it gives a, a predictable view on where your scope three emissions actually are and of which and what type of emission you have so suddenly uh, you figure out that for uh, for some uh, sectors, for example, in the in, uh, in, uh, United States, consumer goods, you actually figure out, OK, actually your entire scope three or most of your scope three actually is somehow within your country or, for example, in, in, in high tech in China. And that informs you of I can I can do a strategy that focuses on national initiatives. And other initiatives like uh, uh, in, in other sectors, uh, let's say automotive uh, in Germany, actually very very little. Even though your suppliers, your entire tier one suppliers might be in Germany, actually the, your scope three is the vast majority of scope three sits everywhere else in the world in in many varied uh, tiers. So your strategy needs to be fundamentally different. And interestingly enough, is the combination of sector and geography that really matters because an automotive player in, in Germany has a pattern and has a, a different multi-tier emission. One in US will be different and one in China will be very, very different.
0: So so with each tier it becomes more challenging to get good quality data.
1: Yeah and this is where the proprietary data model that, that we have developed combines combines and we are we are working with companies to actually just and merge you know their, the company information so with their spend and their supplies to a model that is not a, that is modeling industry and geographic emission in combination with multi-tier and value chains maps so suddenly you're right and the precision wanes as you go upstream but in reality the power of merging top-down uh, industry data with companies you know, tier one and then and mapping it with uh, value chain data allows for a, quite a sophisticated and precise view on what your hotspots are. And that informs your strategy, regardless of whether you can pinpoint you know, the exact supplier in the, in the tier four that is uh, sitting in that geography and there is a meeting that amount.
0: Now, companies will have existing sustainability practices. They may well have uh, been mapping various kinds of risks in the supply chain, human slavery, uh, various kinds of risks like that, which, which they're already doing. And how do they integrate or bring together these different, uh, I guess, risk streams to get an overall picture because if you you can get your data for your emissions but at the same time you've got to bring into the picture for example human rights issues as well or or deforestation issues so
1: absolutely they are i I would challenge whether many are uh, really in the multi-tier and and you point out to other aspects of esg they are really becoming current uh, and really becoming something that, that they need to get right and and our analysis points to an overriding priority. Companies need to make a meaningful, rapid progress uh, in addressing uh, their scope three mission and, and boosting enterprise value, but they need to do it fast tracking their path to a data powered digital core. What does it mean? This, this we call it, it's, it's about total enterprise invention and it involves pulling data, AI and technology into every part of the business to create an intelligent operation, so efforts that goes into okay, let's look at my scope three and let's, let's do a strategy, they die and they are ineffective and efficient also because they stand alone. So this intelligent operation instead has two layers. One is is consists of of uh, you know modern cloud based infrastructure security layer that is uh, automated, agile, and and secure by design. But the next layer is data and AI which helps companies ask new questions and find new answers to drive decision-making. And you can realize I'm not speaking about environmental, I'm not speaking about sustainability. I'm really speaking about really the core of this that we call total enterprise reinvention. So companies, what is their digital twin of the entire supply chain? How uh, they need to master the bit to manage that data and that core to then include scope three and exclude emission as part of it, but you pointed it to child labor, uh, you point it to slavery um, and other, other risks, but also trade, uh, political exposure, resilience, monosources, various sources, and all other aspects of really the future way of, of operating and, and managing value chain and supply chains.
0: Can you talk a little bit about some elements of best practice that you've observed when it comes to scope three, and maybe if you've any recommendations for companies on their journey?
1: The first step, as we spend most of the time actually in the call today, in the, in the session, is get a grip and understand really what your multi-tier scope three looks like. And that really is the, the first step is it focuses on the, on the topic at, at, the, at hand. It allows you to understand what is important, what is not important, and increase the sophistication and the impact of, of, of your strategy when it comes to the action, uh, to drive the right actions and in the right way. Second, well, it cannot be a standalone. It cannot be just a strategy. So the first thing that you need to think about is how do I integrate these new insights into my core operations of how I do procurement? What do I need to change in my processes, in my practices, in my core relationships with our suppliers, so that actually it, it, it is embedded into my core function? Third, companies needs to leverage these insights into this digital core that we talked about, into this and into the the technology. So, so how does the information integrate into entire supply chain? control tower or or digital twin, uh, as you want, and how scope three starts becoming not a topic for itself, but an insight that increases the enterprise value creation potential of your supply chain by being an input on how to make decisions beyond decarbonization. I'll make an example before I I go to the last two. In the um, uh, food and beverage sector, I was working uh, with a client that where we were looking at the network redesign, and always thinking about how do I how do I find the optimal between uh, reaching scale, which calls for large manufacturing sites that are able to to gain those those economies of scales so that my unit cost uh, goes down, and the distance to the market. And the logistic cost that that includes and the lack of responsiveness that it includes. Um, we added carbon to that, to that analysis. And, and suddenly, uh, carbon highlighted a few aspects that uh, uh, allowed to, to look at a solution where scale and proximity to market could actually be broken, that trade off. So suddenly by platforming and, and doing other things, you could reach scale very close to the market and suddenly your total unit cost, manufacturing and the transportation to uh, to the market actually was uh, more competitive and actually beating competition. So that's an interesting example of, of how that uh, that can work.
0: So by introducing a sustainability lens here, in effect you bring in another set of variables And that gives you new ways of achieving a best-in-class scope three operations.
1: Spot on, spot on. And then fourth, uh, the recommendation uh, that you will you will see in the report is looking at how do you need to evolve and mature how you're actually engaging with suppliers. So far, in the recommendation, we are looking at data and insights and visibility, and how do you turn that into action? And this is interesting because we are coming from a decade uh, plus of a relationship that uh, with with suppliers that has been fundamentally uh, transactional and 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 cost based and efficiency based, to a relationship that, with the skews again of carbon, can become much more strategic. And you see how now sustainability and resilience come hand in hand. We have just launched a, 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 the biggest CEO report in the world uh, just a, a month ago that actually made that combination. And suddenly, uh, you're engaging suppliers uh, not just to reduce price and cost, but to do all sorts of things, to innovate, to become more resilient, to help them uh, verticalize and, and across the value chain, and including uh, scope three and emission reduction. And lastly, it's connected to this prisoner dilemma that we discussed earlier. That that game theory, Paragon, is, is telling us that solution at scale cannot happen in a one-to-one relationship between client and supply in the value chain. Where this becomes economically viable is when actually many entities come together and multi-parties come together, share data in the right way, with the right security, obviously, but where solutions can be easier to come about. So we're talking about platforms of clients and supplier bases on, on decarbonization, on carbon footprinting, where suddenly you can aggregate solutions and provide it and find solutions for entire value chain.
0: Yes, that's very interesting and an inspiring uh, finish to the podcast because that has been a theme that we have come across again and again in interviews, w- w- whether it's with the World Economic Forum, using uh, the First Movers Alliance to to get scale, to bring new technologies, or with uh, Bertrand uh, Conqueray at, at, at Henkel, Sustainable Procurement Plant. Many initiatives that seem to be uh, emerging to bring companies together to do this at scale and to collaborate, really, which is a great vision. But I'd just like to thank you so much. For your time today for what's been a really fascinating interview lots to learn there i think and uh, i wish you all the best with your ongoing work thanks very good very nice uh, to be here and, and discussing thank you for listening to the scope 3 agenda podcast with ecovarris we hope you found it interesting and would love if you could share with your colleagues and leave a review if you would like to find out more about ecovarris please visit ecovarris.com